Way too damn far to stop now. Uh, I hit rock bottom, been on that ground. Uh, always managed to go get back up. Uh, forever on my own, uh, no backup. Gotten less shanks since I got the blue one. So please tell me what the fuck that verifies. Twitter feeds don't feed my daughter. If I could sell that motherfucker, I would cash it in. Cop a crib in Santa Cruz, never see my ass again. Don't get it twisted, I still love it though. This past year, I see more time on the road than at home. Not complaining, it's alright. Yeah, I signed up for this life. Got my homies on the left, got my family on the right. And they'd all tell you, same nigga, different zip code. Ain't shit change other than the fact I'm getting old. Never been the type to do a fucking thing that I was told. A lot of niggas try to make it here, but most yeah, of them just yeah, fold. Wax on, wax off, stack up all your weight. Yeah, hands up, man up, stand up for your fate. Yeah, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off, weight. Yeah, hand up, clean up, ram up. Alright, alright, so all right, so I have something. Okay, perfect. But since you don't watch basketball, it might just be like completely over your head. Okay. But I think this week I want to be the Taco Fall fan club, if that's okay with you. That works for me. Alright, so we're the Taco Fall fan club. And I guess if you want to introduce us, we can go ahead now. There we go. No, no, no. This is I mean this is all in. This to oh, the shit. Taco Fall fan club. Uh, we're the Taco Fall fan club and uh I was just watching the draft for the first hour and a half, and I am very confused, feeling a lot of things that Timothy just has no like no clue what I'm talking about right now. Yes, but I think I need I think I need to do this show to get my mind off of some of the things that's, that have happening tonight. <laughs> so just know that it's popping off in the basketball world. The fu- the storylines in basketball at this point are better than the storylines in WWE for sure. Most well, wrestling, as you honestly. see, as you see, Timothy, basketball is wrestling. Yes, I mean, you know, like for years and years, people, it was like it, it became eye-rollingly cringe to hear someone say, you know, you know, UFC does wrestling better than wrestling. Um, but now, fuck that, NBA does wrestling better than wrestling, and probably better than UFC. I mean, shit, when was the last time anyone really got excited about in anything in UFC that wasn't Conor McGregor? You know? Yeah, yeah I that's, mean, that's a while. Yeah, they got fucking gimmicks. They got you know what they ha- you know what they do well in NBA, and this is layered character work that's necessary for wrestling to kind of understand a little bit more as we move forward. Is they they have great tweeners. They've got oh, guys fan- like fantastic. Yeah, like I mean, we were just talking about Steph Curry before we started here. Steph Curry is an amazing tweener because if if you're a Golden State fan, you fucking love the guy. But if you're not, he's the biggest heel on the planet, you know. And and wrestling doesn't have people that that work as well in that regard. It's something that we in the Slack chat, like as far as like the basketball people in there, argue about all the time, and it's the craziest thing in the world to me that there can be someone like Steph Curry, like albeit lottery pick and all that stuff, one of the leading scorers in the country, 
um, in his time at Davidson. And he had no ankles coming into the league, <laughs> skinny, sh- like short, like short and all that stuff. And had having his injury problems and he has success. And then eventually that becomes into him becoming one of the constantly most disrespected and disliked players in the league in some circles. And it's like, I get it. But it's also like, how the fuck do you hate somebody like that? But a Steph Curry podcast is something that I think the world needs. And I don't, I'm not sure I'm the person to do it, but I would love to attempt it. <laughs> yeah, it would be really good. But the thing that sucks about it is it's going to end up being, um, oh, what the fuck is that guy's name? I can't think of his, ah, oh, man, the guy from, um, Grantland and, uh, he had a Bill show. Simmons. Yeah, Bill Simmons will end up being the one to do it. And like I think I like Bill Simmons's mind, but I hate his personality on air at least. Yeah. So like on TV I think he's, on I think, he, I think he's I think he's better on podcast than he is like For sure. everywhere else. Yeah, cuz I remember actually listening to he had a wrestling podcast for a, a short while that I enjoyed. Um but uh but yeah, I mean yeah, it's uh it's definitely um He'll definitely end up being the one to make it, and it'll be like you know a thirty for thirty, but a podcast version of it about Steph Curry, and it'll be I mean it'll be fine, but I would like it if yeah if someone kind of privately a little bit more passionate who maybe you know would get down in down down in the dirty a little bit more uh, would be interesting to hear. Um, really, you need like a, you need like a whole Warriors one because everything about the Warriors is just like you get why people hate the Warriors, and it's also like eh like the, like a lot, like a lot of these guys are like way too likable come from super interesting backgrounds and super likable backgrounds to even really dislike that much right and i mean and they came up i mean they're from a community that i think people who don't who haven't been to the bay area don't really understand how like weirdly stratified it is i mean everything except for san francisco and even san francisco up until recently is i mean really urban areas and like that is coded language to mean non-white, but it's also like kind of just true. It's like it feels like a real city, and it still does to this day. I spend, I I visit regularly up there. I've got a lot of friends up there. I really like it up there. So like I go and I I get a feel for the city. And when I say the city, people think that means San Francisco, and I mean the area like the Bay, Oakland, Berkeley. You know, um, even Alameda Island, which I fucking I'm in love with. I adore Alameda Island. Like the 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 Bay itself is just it's really fucking cool but it's like it's a community that rallies behind its own it's super supportive of the people from there and like the golden state warriors were not necessarily an entity in the bay especially not in san francisco until they start winning championships but like seeing the community rally behind them to me it's like i can definitely see the issues that some people might have like comparing it to like oh they're just like you know the technocracy team of the fucking you know of the of the silicon valley but they're really not i mean the there are a team of a people of a community and like it's really easy to paint all of the bay with the brush of like the silicon valley like you see on the fucking tv show but the bay is really not that and like primarily most of those people who are even part of the like tech bro fucking establishment they're not part of the community so it's like yeah i mean it's really weird to hate on a team that's from like what's like ostensibly like a small town i mean realistically like the bay is like this the second city of of california like you know and san diego is like slowly inching up every day like you know they're clearly a distant third but you know like still and so like it's it would be like if you know the chicago let's say the chicago bulls if people just fucking hated on them for some reason because they thought that they were from a city that's too metropolitan and i don't think people would say that you know what i mean like people wouldn't 
look at them that way being from Chicago, but they don't really think about it. People don't, people get confused when it comes to the West coast versus the East coast. I think, you, you know, you know what it is to me? I think it's because the warriors are sort of the face of the analytics era of right. the NBA. So you could take the whole, Oh, let's take more three point shots. And we have two of the th- best three point shooters ever. We run a small ball lineup and you're the face of this current analytics boom in the last few years of the NBA and on top of being uh, attached to Silicon Valley in perception, like all that stuff adds up into people thinking that you're just some complete tech bros team. And it's like, you're you're really missing the entire infrastructure that the Bay is a part of. And that's what I'm saying. Like a 30 for 30, some sort of documentary on the Warriors is needed because I think there's a lot of misinformation and sort of just assumptions about what the Warriors are and who actually supports the Warriors. Yeah, and people overlook, you've said it, but, like, the fact that, like, you know, somehow that Steph is, like, oh, like, somehow he's, like, conniving or, or, you know, that he, like, came up with this way of playing because, like, again, it was, like, tech bro analytics, but it, it wasn't. It was a workaround for the fact that, like, he was injury prone. He's short. He had to find a way to make it, and he did. I mean... He's a scrappy underdog story, really, but people now look at him like he's, you know, like somehow he's no passion, you know, and, and he's no heart when it's like realistically. Draymond, Draymond Green is a second round pick. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, it's like, it's like, what are we doing here trying to like find all these things to hate? But yeah, I guess we should move on here. <laughs> Steph, Steph opened the door for short guys. Steph is Rey Mysterio and, and <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and he's opening. You know, Steph, way. Steph to Rey Mysterio was not the worst comparison yeah, that's right? ever made. Best TV basketball player of the, of the modern era. Holy shit. That's an incredible take. I'm about to run with that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so we, we are kind of, uh, loose today. We've already spent, you know, uh, however long, like 10 minutes just talking about basketball. So, um, we're not. We don't really have anything on the plate that we're going to review, but we're going to hit some uh, some news notes. And I guess the biggest story on the docket for us right now, just because of the time we happen to be recording, is Todd Martin uh, putting out uh, his little piece talking about New Japan uh, and the way that they're treating the Western fans. Um, did you read the entire article that he put out? I did. I did read it. I was reading it. Um, going back and forth between looking up and watching the draft and right. going back to my phone. I might have missed some details, but I think I got the a pretty good scope of what was going on there. But I yeah. think you probably have a better handle on. No, it. no, I skimmed through it. I didn't completely read it, but I've heard. I listened to to Todd Martin's podcast. Listened to it today. I listened to him constantly, and I know his kind of take on on the whole situation. Um, I I had heard some rumblings about people talking about the ability to get tickets and if the fan clubs and and what's going to be happening there was a there's been a lot of talk about it and it's i mean it's not something that i haven't said and understood from the beginning of this expansion was that new japan is really going to treat you know the japanese faithful and the crowds that they draw there as their bread and butter and anything that they get over here is icing on the cake that's why i think it's crazy that people act like it's insane that they're not willing to just jump ship on partnering with ROH to to AEW at the drop of a hat because that's a big undertaking and there's a lot going on you know there's there would be a lot of kind of balls in motion to do something like that and that's not the core of their business so why would they want the extra headache that comes with dealing with all of that switchover for something that's realistically just you know, a slight added bonus for them and not something that really matters to them in the long run. And I think it comes down to like some of the, some of the big picture stuff that you hear from American fans when talking about new Japan 
And I always wonder, do these people really have no concept that they are not who this company is booked for with the complaints that they make? The biggest, the most paramount one would, to me is always the Ishii. Like, Ishii discourse in America is always fucking ridiculous. And to this day, people, speaking of Todd Martin, you know, there was a question on his podcast that came out today. Someone asking, do you think that Ishii should win the IWGP championship? And I'm like... How do you even wax poetic, which Todd is able to, you know, go into a little bit talking about his kind of philosophy, the whole thing. But to me, it's like that's an instant no. And it's almost like not worthwhile to explain. Like we talked about it when we reviewed Dominion. He looks super old now. I mean, maybe I was, five I was years hoping ago. You said, I was hoping you said Todd Martin said yes. Yeah, no, he did not. He did. He got to know, but he got to know in a way that left it open because he said, like, I don't I'm not saying never. I'm saying right now it doesn't make sense. And I think that it should be a more natural build to getting the title to him. And I'm saying, like, resounding, there's no question in my mind. Five years ago, he was a maybe. At this point, Ishii is a hard no. There's no point in putting his title, putting the title on him. And this is something I said when Okada beat Tanahashi the first time for the IWGP championship at Okada's age. I kind of was just like, oh, there's a lot of guys in New Japan who just got jumped over, and they're never going to get their chance now because Okada was so young, but he was essentially establishing his place on the top of the pecking order which he kept and now it was just going to be a matter of when people his age caught up to him which is finally starting to happen now with guys like naito you could say sonata who's not even really close finally kind of even being in the same conversation kenny omega got there i wouldn't even say kenny omega is a little bit older than okada you know what i mean but to me i was like yeah guys like ishii goto they were just never gonna get the title because they got skipped over by Okada just being ready so much sooner than than they were, and they're not going to go backwards. Like at that point, it's go back to people who've held the title before, like Tanahashi, or move forward to younger people getting their first times, like AJ even coming in. But there's no reason that you're going to go back to someone like Ishii or Goto or even Shibata and put the titles on them, unless it really made sense and they really got hot. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people overlook and miss the fact that, like, New Japan, yeah, New Japan doesn't give a fuck about you. New Japan doesn't care about America. They're not gonna care about America. You know what I mean? That's not what this is about. Like, what I, I don't know. What's your kind of big takeaway from it? So, I do think that if there was an issue with whatever third-party service was going on, to give non-Japanese fans tickets, non-Japanese fans tickets, that they should have been more upfront about it and offered an alternative. But I do agree that anyone taking this as discrim- like I, I, Todd Martin's piece literally said discrim- discrimination against the U.S. fans, and I'm like, I don't know how you're discriminating if. Like that, like that's just a native. That's just a native fan base. I do think they they should do something. I'm not saying completely overhaul what they're doing and cater exa- cater completely to non Japanese fans, but some kind of way for them to purchase tickets or do something because doing it in the middle of June when you have a show coming up in July. In in the U.S., where you're running a twenty thousand seat arena, is very weird timing. I would think that if you're going to do something like that, you might want to have wanted to wait at least until that show was over. Uh, do you know? I, I'm I'm going to look this up, but I wonder how they're distributing these tickets 
to America um for the for this American Airlines show because all I've ever heard is that this is about some third party ad that people would use to like get seats for Wrestle Kingdom. So right. I wonder every every time that New Japan has been in the U.S. the last couple of years, what have they what have they been using for people, for people to buy tickets? Oh yeah, I um hmm. I can't remember actually because I did pop on when they were selling the Long Beach tickets to see, and it, I think it was a yeah, you third don't, you party. Don't, you, you, okay, so it was another third party. Yeah, I think it was a third party, and that's what kind of also one of the things that was in the actually in the article specifically to get into the details a little bit more um, is that you know the fan club American fan club people weren't getting what they, and that's another thing. I mean, I get where Todd's coming from here, but to say like that they're you know defrauded that's kind of what he said they're not just being discriminated against but they're also being defrauded because they took their money and they're not they're being denied what they thought they were paying for and it's like well where's the kind of again like maybe the issue with like a a translation barrier there or even just on top of that people kind of making assumptions like there's stuff like that all the time that happens with sure it's a shady business practice but when people kind of infer or assume that they're getting kind of something from something that's not necessarily like a guarantee you know what i mean it's kind of a it's like oh yeah you know because you're paying for the fan club you're a member of the fan club and i understand the idea that they it says it's part you get entered into a lottery but i don't think that that's like expressly what the entire fan club payment details i don't know i'd have to look into that completely but i think there's probably more to the fan club is what you're actually buying and the lottery is just a, a bonus perk you know what i mean especially because the the lottery isn't a guarantee either the lottery is just a maybe like you might get something from the lottery so i get being frustrated and upset but also like the other side of it is like if you're gonna be a little fucking pay pig then continue to pay for it Otherwise, if you actually think that you got defrauded, then do something about it and stop giving money to this company. You know, like, I'm sorry, but don't like you're complaining that you're not going to get a chance to go see the show. But I guarantee if they give them a chance to go see the show, they'll go still. And it's like to me, if you feel like that this company has has defrauded you, if you think that what they did was commit a fraud against you, why would you continue to give them your money or your time or your you know what I mean? Pay attention to what they're doing. Any of that. Just stop. So to me, it's kind of like. If you're going to go out of your way, and this is something that I think a lot of fandoms have really lost, and I think that me and you being, you know, younger, but still old school enough to know, like, being a fan of something, being a hardcore niche fan of something, means taking the good with the bad a lot of times. And this is just one of the bads. Like, I'm I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I hate, to, I'm not saying, like, you know, you should just take it, but it's kind of like, complain and do something or shut your mouth and just deal with the fact that like this is not suited for you and it's difficult you know i mean i i just feel like that's kind of how it is gonna have to work right i mean is that is that wrong or does everyone should everyone expect like 100 percent perfect customer service from every business every interaction like is that kind of where we're at now i think it's a little weird though how quickly some people jump the gun correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't like the p like the title of Todd Martin's piece like New Japan Wrestling Drop Dead, yeah, so, uh, something, something along those lines. Yeah, it's it. The formatting of the title is really fucking annoying yeah. because it's Martin colon New Japan to non Japanese fans colon Drop Dead. So yes. you're quoting someone who's theoretically 
quoting someone else. What, you know, what, like, what, like what you like what you think the New Japan fans. I mean, New Japan is saying to the yeah um, American fans, and and again, that feels like a real leap. And I'm always I'm always among the belief like you should probably just wait a bit. Tell them, hey, this is a little inconvenient for us. We like we would like to keep supporting your product and keep working something out. But while this isn't their, uh, I guess, plan to sit here and, oh yeah, we're gonna really keep expanding into the U.S. now and do everything with uh, with that being their focus. I think they definitely care. Like I said, like I said when we first introduced this, I think they definitely should have should have an alternative set up. I don't know what they're selling these American Airlines tickets through. I don't know what's going on, but they should at least have an alternative set up. I'm seeing that people have a, they bought tickets and now that stuff is uh, getting canceled. People are losing, losing money. And I think that's the issue here too, is it's not just people quote unquote, like can't go to the shows. It's that people already bought some of these tickets and are losing money on that now. And that's going to, that's going to bother you anyway, that any way you cut it, whether it's, WWE, New Japan, or any kind of indie, if you already bought tickets for a show and something winds up happening, whether the show gets canceled or it gets gets shut down for whatever reason, you're going to be upset. And I think all you can do is at least be upfront with the reasoning or often offer an alternative to people that still want to give you money. And while I think a lot of this comes off as the Western fans being frankly sort of entitled and thinking that they're the reason why New Japan is so popular, which I think is maybe something to touch on a little bit is the sense of entitlement I got seeing tweets and seeing people talk about this. They should have at least provided an alternative for people to for that have already got tickets. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's definitely fair. I think if you've already purchased your tickets or whatever and 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 you're, you know, I I guess I mean th- but it's still it's part of it is also the risk I mean international travel on a show it's like it's a big risk for you as a person to like put all your eggs into that basket and I understand that like you know you you pay for it and you should get what you pay for in a lot of ways for sure but I don't know I think it was much better off when everyone just bought their Japanese wrestling tickets from Gonchulo like can we go back to can we go back to that <laughs> like uh it's a buy. I want to buy my New Japan merch from Pro Wrestle Shop, and I want. Uh, right. I want to buy my tickets from uh, Undercard Jobber Comedy. Uh, uh, you know, Brazilian guys. That's. I think that's the way wrestling works, or that's the way Japanese wrestling works the best. But, but no, I mean, really, I mean, but are there not a lot of other issues like that we've dealt with in America when it comes to Japanese promotions? Like, and realistically, the market. You talk about it, but like, are they still very focused on moving forward into America? Who knows? AEW changes a lot of things when it yeah, comes that's to the, actually that's actually a really good point <laughs> to those numbers. How much does New Japan now see an opening in America when there is realistically a much a very strong alternative to WWE debuting in the market relatively soon? So and and look at it because as New Japan is starting to rise in popularity, the only viable competition quote-unquote, in the U.S. is Ring of Honor. And now Ring of Honor is on a sharp decline, the company that they're partnered with, and now AEW, who they ha- who they have um, some sh- talent that they're sharing um, in common, that's not, a part- that's not a company they're partnered with, and here they are on such a hot start. 
So that's actually a pretty valid point there that AEW is now in this thing. And who knows if after they run this American Airlines show in July, if America really is still a big part of New Japan's plans. Yeah, I mean, I could see them. I mean, I got emails talking about they're running more Dragon Project or Lion Project out of the, you know, the LA Dojo. Um, So there's still going to be, I think that might still continue some as just a satellite kind of feeder brand where they're training American students. Because it's, I mean, it's probably pretty smart to do that. American wrestlers are becoming a big part of their kind of overall brand, even in Japan. But you don't necessarily aren't going to get the best and the bright of this talent always being willing to fly over for just a, an opportunity to stay in the dojo. So maybe having them be able to stay in America while you train and see if they're going to work is, is going to be a good move for them. You know, so I could see it becoming a lot more, a lot like more devalued, a lot more almost like NXT New Japan, but in America, you know, like NXT UK, but it's NXT or it's, you know, New Japan America basically I think is what we end up with, which is kind of sad because a lot of people were expecting it to be New Japan basically running its own full-time promotion in America. Um, and I don't think that that's happening. It'll probably end up being a lot more like that, but you talked about AEW there and, and yeah, like they share a few talents, uh, you know, Jericho Moxley right now. Um, there's been talks of Kenny Omega. Yeah, allegedly Omega. We don't know anymore. Right, he was taken off the roster page. All that, so who knows what's going on with Omega? That might be that might be part of an angle or whatever. But they're also competing for talent. I mean, they are directly competing for talent at this point. They, the best friends, left New Japan to sign with AEW. You've got um, Bulldog Junior. Davy Boy Smith Junior. Just like leaving New Japan, and the you know the signed to MLW, but the rumors are that he's going to AEW soon you know what I mean so so it's kind of like and through ROH in a lot of ways I mean Bandito just worked the best of the super juniors in New in New Japan and, and AEW obviously wanted Bandito and and now he's you know theoretically he's in ROH but I think that's just until New Japan takes him full time which I, I assume that's where he ends up so yeah I mean they are competing and uh, AEW is going to have the strongholds in America to start out with i mean they've got a lot of connections through the Khan family they've got big time tv in america now so does new japan see a place for themselves to really compete with that especially when you talk about it but their brand the roh brand is 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 dying you know and and talent is tightening up and i think we were talking about it a couple years ago with nxt you know nxt is being buddy buddy and friendly friendly with you know with the uk scene and then eventually see what's going to happen. They're going to start pulling all their guys, which has happened. And at the time it was like, this is, you know, that's kind of how we all saw it. It was going to be NXT, but did we really expect that it would end up with AEW is doing it now. ROH is doing it now. New Japan is doing it now. They're all harboring their talents and not being willing to let people work multiple places. And, you know, the next kind of news story that I'm hearing is AEW possibly not letting their guys work PWG. Which is, I mean, who knows? Where does that go? Like, they've got working relationships with New Japan, obviously. They've got working relationships with ROH. You know, they, they've been able to have people from all over for all this time. So AEW, a company that's being run by people who really made their names in PWG, are theoretically not going to let their wrestlers work there anymore. So I, w- I will say, in fairness to AEW, Ring of Honor did a similar thing 
a few years back and then, and then they took that back um i'm not sure what prompted them to but there was a point in time where uh your guys like adam cole and kyle o'reilly were being taken off of pwg shows and you know as being a pwg regular that those guys were uh uh some of the company bears there and ROH wound up taking them away and they had their big returns at, at different points so what AEW is doing isn't super left field but it is weird as to why like look I, th- I think PWG is one of the most harmless promotions there is out there now I guess it depends on if you're thinking that like PWG is one of the only indies that WWE well one of the only American indies that WWE really has eyes on and you don't want to sit there and put guys in PWG that might be in front of WWE eyes like a William Regal or something. But after that line of thinking, I don't see what you get out of taking your guys off of PWG shows. I mean, are they going to have their guys on national television though? I mean, that's, that's such, that feels so ass backwards of a way to look at it. And I get where you're coming from saying it and it could be the thoughts, but I mean, those same guys are going to be on their TV. So they're going to be on the radar of, the whole world you would think that wwe would see them on their on the aew television you know so right it's like something i said i don't know i don't get it pwg is like such neutral ground there's like i don't understand what the issue would be there with having them uh work pwg but i guess if these people aren't going to be working anywhere else in the u.s other than aew that makes sense if these contracts are like completely exclusive I think, and I think that's kind of, that's the kind of stuff we might be talking here, but it still feels weird just because PWG is PWG. There there has no aspirations to be anything other than PWG. It's not under any company. It's not a feeding system to any company in particular. It's just the indie where it has the most eyes and everyone gets to showcase, gets to showcase their shit. And for a company in AEW that, you don't know when they're going to have national TV, if they're going to have national TV and all those things. I feel like you'd want people, you'd want people in PWG just because you, you try, you want to try to keep the buzz of some guys going, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and I mean, if you're going to say that PWG isn't a feeder system to anywhere, like sure, not officially, but if anything, the closest thing they are is a feeder to AEW. One of the owners mm. of PWG works for AEW as a commentator. I mean, guys. Shit, Rick, Rick, Rick Knox is there. Rick <laughs> like, Knox works there. How many people who are on AEW either got signed with AEW right after showing up in PWG and getting to show off like a Jungle Boy, or started to get booked in PWG after they were announced as being signed to AEW? You know what I mean? Like, so like MJF showing up in PWG after he's already signed to AEW. So it's like Hangman Page, another guy who like being the connection to AEW is when he then starts showing up in PWG. So if anything, it's like PWG has been a showcase for AEW and a, and a feeder system for AEW's talent and people like it's really weird. And especially with the bucks having that, that connection to Adam Cole, one of the people who got pulled because of ROH being stupid. And I think that they were the guys who I heard complaining about it at the PWG shows saying it was bullshit that, Adam Cole wasn't allowed to be there because of ROH and now they're doing the same thing. And maybe it's, you know, it's, oh, it's different because we were, we were PWG and these new younger guys, they're not really PWG the same way we were. So them getting pulled is not a big deal, you know, but our guys who really are PWG through and through, they shouldn't have gotten pulled. Like the fuck, like, what are you talking about? You know, like that's just such a, 
a weird way to look at it. And and it is it really shows. I hate to say this because who knows, but it really shows like a little bit of hypocrisy and a little bit of questioning about like what is AAW going to be like? Are are they going to fall into all the same traps that other companies do with the way they think about stuff because when it's them, they're not as open. I mean, there is, you know, there's talk about how woke is AEW? How, what does it mean that you're giving insurance to your employees? What does it really mean that women are going to be paid the same as men? Like, are, is this all just buzzwords? And is it is it all just basically woke, woke capitalism? And it's just putting that stuff out there so that you look good, but you don't really follow through on any of it. Like, I mean, the, PWG, you want to talk about this, like socialism. PWG started out as a worker cooperative company. I mean, they didn't describe it that way necessarily, but that's what it was. When it started out, it was, you know, six wrestlers who wanted to open a wrestling company for them to wrestle at. So the owners of the company were workers at the company, right? And that's work, That's a worker cooperative, which is a tenet of modern socialist economics. AEW had the chance to do the same thing. The main people are all wrestlers who want to work in the company. They're opening up a company for a place for them to work. But they turned themselves into executive vice presidents. They separated themselves from the rest of labor. And they've turned it into, we're kind of a management class that gets benefits and you guys are still labor. So, again, where do we end up with AEW? They are showing you know, tendencies to not necessarily follow through on some of the stuff that they say. You know what I wonder? In... This is going to go back to like the, all the T, like TNA comparisons that people have made with AW over the last uh, six months or so. But how long did and, and granted there there were other uh, very serious circumstances as to why the TNA ROH relationship ended. But how long how long did we go before um, TNA and ROH ended their relationship sharing talents? It was, I mean, it was relatively quick in the sense that it was like, once ROH was on the radar, even for TNA, that's when it was pulled. But that, I mean, that also coincided a lot with TNA pulling. People really like to, and I, I get why, blame it kind of on the RF thing. But TNA did that across the board with other promotions. Really, that's that's why that's why I was gonna say like. People always point to RF, but I was pretty sure there were other situations of TNA doing that at the time when they were when they were starting to really get hot. Yeah, and they were starting to pull like AJ from PWG, and because there's, I mean, off and on TNA would essentially they would do the bookings for the talent. So if a talent wants an outside booking, it would have to go through TNA rather than going through them direct. But then there was also times where guys could do their own bookings on the side outside of TNA without TNA's involvement. So that kind of went all over the place. And that really had to do with, you know, kind of what the management's kind of opinion was at the moment. So again, I mean, that's, that's how it feels right now. Flavor of the month with AEW. Is that what it's going to end up being like, just like with TNA? It's, oh, you can work these places. You can't work there. MJF. I mean, you know, I, I don't know any of the exact details and I, I, I am scared to even say it because people might think that I have some, insider information because these are people that i happen to know were involved in this but mjf got pulled from a show from a small indie in the south right pretty early on and then it's like oh you know but he's also allowed to work other random places since then so right there is like it really depends on their opinion in the moment and then you turn around and there's another small independent in the south that have chris jericho and kenny omega show up to cut an angle in their promotion so it's like what it's not about the the level of the promotion, it's not about the geography, it's just about like how they feel in the moment, what's what works for them and what doesn't work for them, like that's that's what matters. I don't 
I don't know. So that is actually a good point to make. I mean, are they going to end up being similarly fickle to TNA in the sense that like they're just kind of the management is a little bit kind of all over the place. And it's hard to even really speculate too much on AEW because we haven't, we don't have much of a track record yet, but they're not, they're, they're producing in ring. I think that the quality of the, of the product has been good, but I don't know how the management and everything in the, and behind the scenes is, is feeling to me right now. Uh, yeah, I think it's just like a lot of, un. uh, with AEW, it's like you want to believe in them. You also get why so, like certain people already wrote them off. And obviously, the AEW bag of worms has been open for months and months now with different discussions from every angle. But when they say all those things that you've mentioned and they talk about being progressive and they talk about doing all these things and then they do something... And I'm not going to sit here and be and you know, this is wrestling, wrestling's wrestling. And, you know, like just like how we were talking about the New Japan stuff before, this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff is, um, is precedented. And it happens from time to time when companies feel like they're going to take a next leap and they want to keep their guys exclusive, whether it be, uh, they want to be the company that that wrestler is associated with. They don't want to take any risk for that pump, for that person getting getting hurt in another company. All those things. But when you see this, it really does kind of raise an eyebrow for you. And I'm hoping that they still do let guys do PWG. It wouldn't be the end of the world. Like, am I going to sit here and throw a fit over MJF, Adam Page, and Jungle Boy not being in PWG anymore? No, of course not. But it is something to keep in mind, at least, for the next few months and how that stuff goes. Because what if someone really is really honing their craft in PWG, getting their stuff together, and, you know, now we're in another bidding war for someone between WWE and AEW that all saw their stuff in PWG. Uh, We just saw that happen with Bandito not too long ago, and it does feel weird to sort of be in another territory era, and this time especially with... uh, the smaller scale indies being around in uh in America and in Australia and in, and in the UK, it's gonna be a really weird next few months, I think. Yeah, and and Bandito is a great example of it. It's like it's it's almost like boom and bust like capitalism, like what happens in the economy, you know, writ large. But like the idea that there's like all speculation and buzz behind the guy, but I wouldn't say that he's you know completely shit the bed but he hasn't delivered i think to the level that he was being treated like he was going to because it was all speculation he was he was he was was treated like an asset i also i also think on some level it was to get to get somebody before anyone else could get them right and it was it was all speculative you know it was it was completely about trying to jump in before and then you know have then you have you have it before other people can get their hands on it and it's almost like poor fucking flamita man let's talk about that (laughs) i mean yeah it's it's like what is like what is this how come no one has signed flamita it's the weirdest shit in the world it's i mean i am not like a flamita truther like i know you are because i have been in the pwg crowd and i get the bandito thing i don't i oh, no, don't I, say he's like worlds better than flamita but no i i, I, I get bit after best after um it's gonna sound weird as fuck but um bandito had a match with silas yes on you know on and like I think it might have been Dallas or whatever. Yes, yes. And then and and I think that matches the match that sold me. I'm like, all right, like Bandito is probably better in a few ways than Flamita is. 
But, but still, like someone, when we're in this, yeah, when we're in this era of MLW, Impact, WWE, and all their subdivisions, and New Japan and AEW, and all these people trying to sign guys to exclusive contracts, and no one is signed Flamita yet. Not even Dragon Gate. Like he loved it in Dragon Gate. Why is he not there right now? Him and Pac I, is a, would totally have I, fucking killer matches. I don't. I don't understand what's happening with Flamita right now. I'm thinking that. There's got to be something, Maybe right? he's like, secretly th- signed to AEW. Maybe he's one of those guys. That's like <laughs> the a, only thing that could possibly make sense. Is he an industry plant? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. There's a few people that I think, especially with the Lucha Underground contracts, like, could AEW do, like, a, a Lucha Underground invasion angle and, and they, they're not announcing that a guy like, you know, Bandito... Um, Ray Horace, or not Bandito, Flamita, Ray Horace, maybe, um, maybe even like Cage. I don't know what his impact status is, but I've heard that it was coming up soon. You know what I mean? Like maybe they bring in some, some of the more available Lucha Underground names and do like a little bit of a, like, maybe it doesn't have to be an invasion thing, but it can be like a surprise. Here's all the Lucha Underground guys having crazy matches. I don't know. I really but don't know. Like really, but, but there's really no reason why Flamita isn't signed, isn't signed anywhere. Right. That's, one, that's been one of the things that's baffled me the most during this entire um, sort of rebirth of a territory system is why the fuck has no one signed Flamita? Like, no one. Right. Um. All right. So another, I guess, a news item that uh, I think that me and you would ha- have to bring up here. And I don't think either of us were the biggest fans, but we got to give some respect to Lionheart passing away um a a guy who deserves some credit for being involved in the breakout of the uk indie scene over the past few years um again like i said i was never a huge fan of his i don't know that you ever really were oh yeah i'm not gonna come up here and do that i was never a huge lionheart fan uh wasn't a fan of i guess what we saw of him on on twitter and how he came across on on social media on social media but you hate to lose somebody so young especially to what like you don't you don't want to speculate, but it's like from the eerie eerie Ricky yes. Gervais quote he uh, put on his Twitter it was saying like an apparent suicide. Yeah, it may have been something. It may it maybe it wasn't a suicide, but maybe it was reckless behavior that came from being in a dark place. Who really knows exactly what happened? Um, I don't. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean. It's just, again, a guy who I think deserves credit for being involved in building up the bank. Like, you know, the ICW, me and you were more progress fans for sure, just because of the way that they were presenting wrestling. But ICW was a big part of it. Him, Lionheart, Grado, those guys deserve credit. Mikey Whiplash on the ICW side of kind of helping build. They drew huge houses, even um, Killian Dane, which I got, I forgot what his indie name was at this point. Um but uh, uh, big demo, big demo. Those guys all kind of helping build up a scene over there in uh, in Scotland, um, while the UK stuff was growing with with primarily progress and and PCW, which was a, a place that that Lionheart worked, which eventually did become the issue. I think uh, for a lot of guys, 
couldn't work both because progress and icw were working were running a lot of the same times and we're both running yeah, that's, a that's a lot of that's a lot of um that's a lot of why norm dar stopped working stop working progress because right. he was an icw guy yeah. not i mean icw i think icw pcw all that kind yeah, of stuff and that's why like mastiff stopped working icw as much because he was a progress guy so there was a there wasn't a lot of crossover between the two companies but there was a lot of crossover between icw and pcw they worked more together so lionheart had a lot of big matches with um with imports primarily in pcw because that's what they were known for um at that time period is bringing in a lot of guys from the states um and you know another thing you talk about the twitter stuff early on lionheart was one of the first guys that got injured by aj styles hitting the styles clash people may may or may not remember that um you know and that was he kind of used that to kind of pop off a little bit and make a make a big name for himself outside of the scene of people that were paying attention. So, I mean, he really was involved, like I said, in a lot of ways for good or for bad in kind of the explosion of the, of the European scene. I, I guess I was saying UK, but really should say European scene because he was in, in primarily in Scotland for uh, ICW. Also, like I said, PCW pretty regular there. Um, but a guy who, again, with me and you being a big ingrained in that European scene that really popped up in the 2010s, um, just gotta gotta mention it there uh somber news there another kind of somber news but in a little bit of gloating news for myself i will say uh lars sullivan out with a knee injury um not just (laughs) gloating because um because it's good to see racists have bad things happen to them um but also gloating because on this week in wrestling i called it out early on with this motherfucker that his gigantic knee brace and doing that diving headbutt all the time that this fucker was not going to be long for wrestling and he comes up to the main roster he has a screw loose he disappears because of that he flames out you know or gets in trouble for saying racist shit on the internet now he's getting injured again um i just I liked him. I do think he's good when he's on. I enjoy him. Yeah, I'll, 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 I always liked him too, which is why it's like real disappointing, like everything that's happened. Yeah, but I could, I don't know what it was, but when I first was seeing him on NXT, I said, this motherfucker is snake bit, and I guarantee that he's, they're going to put a lot of energy into building him up, and they're not going to get much return, and it's seeming like I was right, and I'm going to give some credit to my man Pete from This Week in Wrestling, because he's the one who DM'd me to, to tell me that I called it, so... I'm just going to say I called it. I'm dancing on the, the grave of, uh, of Lars Sullivan's knee here a little bit, but I, I feel bad for, for the guy in some ways. Um, in other ways, I, you know, I think he kind of is getting what he deserves. Um, I don't know. What, uh, was there, what else do you want to get into next here? Um, I think you wanted to talk about the SCI field. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, before, before, yeah, before we got into the We Don't Know Wrestling 2020, 2010s, yeah, I guess. let's do that. So, um, I'll just mention real quick that there was a, a pretty cool tag team matchup from the recent SUP uh, show, the main event tag team match, which was uh, Violence is Forever, slightly better named than Sad Comp, um, against They Might Be Giants. Slightly. Yes. Slightly, slightly we're still, better. We're still watching you, Dom. Um, I know you listen to podcasts. A shout out to Fighting Network friends, as he was wearing uh, their shirt, I guess recently. Still, still rooting for you. Come up with, come up with a better name yeah. though. <laughs> um, against a team that has a fantastic name, and they might be giants of uh, Marco Stunt and Cabana Man Dan. Um, I enjoyed the match. I dug it, but I thought that the opening stuff really felt forced. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I think like the tone wasn't quite there, like it should have been between everyone involved. Um, Dylan. Hales, who may be listening to this, um, did a great job on commentary trying to put over the the kind of the shocking nature of what was going on in the opening minutes of the match. Um, but it felt, I don't know, it felt a little heavy handed to having it need to be forced so much. And then I think that it grew into a really cool, bloody brawl. 
um, as the match progressed. And by the end of it, I was really enjoying it and thought that they did a good job of upping the violence. But I just felt like there was a little, there was a lot of stuff in the beginning. There was hiccups and things that were just a little bit too cute by half. Um, and a little bit of stuff where you're just really trying hard to force something to be shocking instead of just going with the natural story there. Um, so that was kind of my, my, my issues with that match, but the exciting stuff moving forward, we got the SCI field is fully announced. Um, first person in it was the guy who won the SCI rumble, AC Mack, someone who I'm a huge fan of. So I'm, I mean, anybody, him against anybody in the field is exciting for me, but we do know his first round match already because he picks his opponent having won the rumble against Jaden Newman, a guy who I think you probably don't, are you in the camp of what's, what's so great about Jaden Newman? Or are you in the camp of, I don't even know who Jaden Newman is. I like Jaden a little bit. Okay. I'm, for, what, for, yeah, for what I've seen, I like I like Jaden. Yeah, I'm starting to see he's got something there. Um, I think that he's definitely going to deliver. And I think that this is going to be a, a good maybe coming out party for him as a babyface. Um, because he's shown that he can be a pretty solid babyface. Um, but I think that this is a match people will pay attention to. AC Mack is probably the best heel, maybe second best heel in this tournament. So I think that that's a good setup there. Next mat, next guy in the match is a guy who I've been begging to be in the SCI for years in B-Boy. Um, I've been wanting him in there. So finally he's going to get to show off and, and represent for what I've been saying he could do. Anthony Henry, obviously another favorite. Dan Makabe, Matt Tremont, Slim J, Joey Lynch, O'Shea Edwards, Billy Buck, Kevin Koo, Tony Deppen, another awesome debut there. Nick Iggy, a guy who I think has really shown that he's developed as a singles wrestler, so it's nice to see him getting a, a shot in the tournament as a singles. Brett Eisen, um, maybe my second favorite champion right now in wrestling, honestly. He's bringing a lot to the table as champion in SUP um, that he wasn't before. Um, really developing uh, a great kind of vibe there. J.D. Drake and Marco Stunt. Um Coming out of it, I mean, I just saw SCI. They tweeted out. I tweeted out my response. But you know, what matches do you want to see in the first round? What matches? What kind of? What's standing out and exciting for you? Is there anything there that like kind of is interesting for you? As far as like, what, as far as what you want to see, or yeah, yeah, overall, anything, matchups, uh, storylines, anything. What do you? What kind of? What are you thinking? Is there? Um, I mean, is there anything that you care about? Well, coming no, out of it? well, well. well I mean, of course, it's a great field. Like, I like everyone that that's in the field. I haven't seen too much of Ison. That's sort of like my one blind spot. I do want to go ahead and uh, watch more of his title run and sup. But I like everyone that's in the field for the most part. Uh, Dream match, if I could get that, obviously would be something along the lines of Dan versus Slim J. But I'm not sure realistically that would happen or... Uh, how how exactly that will work there? But I I would love to see Dan Dan and Slim Jay go out there for about fifteen minutes and just tear it up like you know those guys can. But I've been in the Slim Jay is the maybe the secret best wrestler in the world camp for the last year or so. So I'm really hoping to see a Slim Jay real run here in this tournament. Yeah, and I I'm with you on that, but that's why like for I like I said I did tweet it out, so I'll just kind of you know go over it here, my thoughts behind it. But Slim J, maybe secret best wrestler on the planet. My dream is then to have him go against another guy who might be secret best wrestler on the planet, and Tony Deppen, who's a guy who I think mm. is over you know looked and how good he is, and I think that the oh heel- you know like t- heel Tony versus babyface Slim J sounds fantastic. Yeah, actually, exactly that was what I was thinking about too. Tony's such a, a, a Tony's the right kind of heel to to work with Slim J, 
I think, in a lot of ways. Not to say, you know, Makabe is a fantastic heel also, but the reason why I, I if I'm going to pick my dream matchup for the first round, I went with Makabe versus Nick Iggy because they both have got this kind of cool dimension of being, I, I was talking about earlier, but like tweeny, where I think that both guys can go heel and babyface. Both guys don't have to really go overtly like over the top clap your hands say yeah to be babyface they just have like an aura that's kind of a likability so i think the cool thing about that match is it could go back and forth it can go in and out it can weave between heel babyface the whole way through and both guys can really bring it out of each other in a lot of cool interesting ways to where i just think that that would be a lot of fun to see what would happen there um for my like kind of fight match i think maybe it would be under radar for other people but i want i would like to see b-boy and kevin koo um, just because those two guys would just kick the shit out of each other. Um, and that yeah, was, that sounds fantastic on paper, too. Yeah, and then my Haas fight, for what I picked for the big Haas fight, Edwards versus Tremont, just two big bad-ass bulls going at it. And, and Edwards has shown, especially he just recently had a match. Um, fuck, why can't I remember his name now? Oh, my God, I'm an idiot. Either way, it was a, a legendary uh, uh, indie wrestler who kicked the shit out of Rick Steiner in the past. Um, either way... Um, O'Shea has shown that he can throw around big, you know, big boys, and I think that O'Shea throwing around Tremont would be a would be a hell of a match. Um, so yeah, that was that's kind of what stands out for me uh, coming out of there. But hey, these are people making their name right now in the SCI field. 2019, 2019 is the last year of the 2010s, right? So maybe it's too late for some of these guys to make their case for the we don't know wrestling 2010s. But that's coming up, right? I mean, the the decade's coming to an end. For you, maybe right now, at least tell me if this works for you to talk about kind of what's what's going to be your judging rubric almost like what's going to be how you make up your mind on where people are placed for the, the you know, we don't know wrestling 2010s. Um, I'm probably going to go for a same for the same approach I went for the GWE, which is. I want to go for more in-ring based, although like obviously like stuff like promos and character and how well you um portray and accentuate your character in the ring does matter with the in-ring, I think. Um, I also do want to account for impact more than I did with GWE with the greatest wrestler ever. I'm just thinking of people who I would like think of as great wrestlers i think with the we don't know wrestling 2010s project i kind of want to do something where these people are obviously great wrestlers in my opinion but i also want to go with who i think defines the 2010s so i think i'm gonna be looking more for impact here than i was with, with my gwe um criteria yeah i mean that's probably a big part of it and i think with how weird this decade is like and this kind of just came to mind for me in a lot of ways as you're talking about it but like i think if i'm looking at holistically in-ring work character stuff and then be feeling like of the time and really feeling like kind of like having a not maybe not the most crucial role at all times but like kind of touchstones of always being there in the in the historical moments of the decade like i probably end up with my case being tim thatcher as like my number one um this is just like very rudimentary right now but he's the guy that pops into my head because i'm just thinking about early tim thatcher working scuzzy you know california indies which is like 
very early, you know, 2010s of him doing death matches that no one's paying attention to going to APW and working this like weird fake British gimmick that like you can still catch some glimpses of on YouTube, which also feels very 2010. The fact that you can like find some clips of him doing this weird fake British accent in uh, on YouTube. And then like his, I don't know if you ever saw his cringe ass Twitter account that was like him doing Chuck Norris jokes about himself, um, which was like ridiculous. And who knows, maybe that wasn't actually him. Maybe like some weirdo was doing it, but it was a Tim Thatcher Twitter account that was that that was like all this stuff just feels very 2010s then you then you talk about showing up and beyond um at a time where like I think I mean if we were going to do promotion of the decade honestly 2010s you almost if you're going to talk about like being like of the vanguard like beyond is in I'm, that not, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure beyond isn't top five of the decade yeah like I mean it's it's in that conversation because of just being on the vanguard of what's new booking everyone trying so much different unique stuff constantly so like he shows up there has this fucking killer match with Biff Busick that like is legendary I think within a lot of communities in the wrestling you know world then he you know, shows is that, uh, go ahead like randomly I was um doing a little bit of a just YouTube search to see how much uh, YouTube stuff was out there for guys like Biff and Drew Gulak. And I came across the Thatcher versus Busick match that I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening to this ha- like has uh, probably have seen by now. Do you want to take, do you want to take a guess at how many views that matches at? Oh, I don't know. Like a million? Not a million. Not, it's not, 100, um, I don't know. It's gotta be yeah, it's, 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 a lot. It's not, it's, it's not Kimberly taking yeah. taking up taking some crazy power bomb, so it's not in a million. It's um, as she had two hundred and three thousand for Damn. Thatcher versus Biff Busick at this at the Beyond Secret show. Yeah, I just went really high because it's just been, it's been on there so long that I just think over time mm. it would continue to grow. But I mean, that's still a ton for 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 Thatcher versus Biff Busick, like right. Which, which, is like uh, which I many, thought was super impressive. You know what? Uh, just to put it out there, another match from that time that was great was uh, Biff versus A.R. Fox. It's from a secret show around the same time. Uh, it's got a really nutty uh, body slam onto the ring apron, but like yeah. not in the way that you think. <laughs> like, it's fucking crazy. Um, either way, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Thatcher, he shows up in Beyond. Then, you know, he goes into Evolve. And, like, it really feels like Evolve was, like, a breakout promotion of the 2010s. He becomes, like, a big part of that storyline, that narrative. You could even say then, show, you know, going to WXW, the UK stuff, like, as the UK scene is cresting. He's there. He, like, in some ways, like, Thatcher is, like, the fucking Forrest Gump of the 2010s of wrestling. Like, he constantly shows up and he's everywhere where shit is happening. And for, like historically the guy who people say like he's the most boring wrestler people who don't get him fucking can't stand his act because he's dry and even he said um recently on a shoot interview that he was going out of his way to be as boring as possible and all this like he really does if you look at the decade of the 2010s he shows up everywhere he delivers super quality matches everywhere he's always basically he's Tim part, he's part he's part of he's part of the most important like some of the most important things to happen in the decade where there's um you know him being one of the uh, guys at the forefront of the um, the grapple movement that was happening in 2013 through 20 through 2015. Um, Ringconf, yeah, and all and all that happening and leading to Walters leading to Walters' rise and star power. His reign as evolved champ leading to one of the biggest and most emotional title wins of the decade in Zack Saber Jr. versus Thatcher. Like whether or not you like the guy, he's been a part of almost anything you can think of 
for the decade. Yeah, and then throughout the whole time, always delivering super quality matches on the WrestleMania weekend shows, even if he has small amounts of bookings, you know, becoming a big part of the blood sport storylines, you know, really bringing ambition and shoot style to the forefront in a lot of places. But again, talking about it, like having that hardcore background, the deathmatch background. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who I just think I'd be, I'll be hard pressed to beat him out. Like there's probably going to be people. Oh, you know what? I didn't even think of fit Finley. When Fit Finley yeah. left w- leaves WWE and he has a handful of indie matches that go on to be legendary stuff that people talk about, one of those matches is against Thatcher. It's probably the least kind of talked about one, but it is. It's like a weird thing where it's like that's just another one of those like little kind of keystone moments in history. Again, where I talk about he's the fucking Forrest Gump of the 2010s. Like only a handful of guys had matches with Finley when he was outside of WWE and Thatcher just happens to be one of them. You know what I mean? So it's just repeatedly kind of he just shows up in these places and always delivering super quality work. I think the strongest case that a lot of guys are going to make probably to outdo him for the 2010s thing for me or in general is going to be, you know, the the kind of just amount of work that they have. I think someone like Zack Sabre Jr. is going to just smoke him when it comes to like the quantity of great matches. Um, so, you know, and if you want to like say in-ring work wise and talk about that like it's kind of hard to make the argument pro thatcher over zach just when it comes to you know the in-ring style is very similar and if you have so much more quantity and all this but again like thatcher just feels like of the era so you know now that we've gotten into that and and you kind of helped me think about what my rubric would be because i think honestly my rubric for this is probably going to be a lot different than something like gwe or something even like our our yearly top 50s um just because again it's it's I think it's about encompassing the 2010s, not just in that you did the work in the 2010s, but that like the kind of the ethic and the and the and the the zeitgeist of the decade in wrestling, Um, which I think was a good point that you made there. So who are some standouts that you have so far or are there any? I do. I do have some standouts. I do think with the 2010s, there aren't a lot of people that are like consistently great from beginning to end. For the decade, there are some people that have some gaps, whether it be the injury, they weren't being pushed, um, and things like that. So, really, you really only have like a select few guys that you really can go to bat for from like beginning to end. Um, even even someone like uh, Daniel Bryan, who is a possible number one guy for some people. Obviously, I think he's the best wrestler of all time. I'm not sure he's my number one guy for the 2010s, even though. He does have that thing where more than anyone, he might have perfectly captured um, the zeitgeist of the 2010s. You could argue whether it was him or Punk more, but Brian is definitely right there. And he, but he does have his little gaps um, with his with his injuries, so he might have to take a back seat to someone that might have that was that have been, that's been there having great matches from beginning to end in the decade like a like a Hiroshi Tanahashi who I'm not sure where people are on him I'm not sure if he's a number one guy for some people but he's definitely someone that I'll at least consider um obviously being the Zack Sabre Jr. guy around these parts Zack I think has a really good case and I think a lot of people probably don't realize how good Zack has been Zack was having good matches all the way back in 2010 he might not have been getting a lot of bookings 
but in WXW when uh I think it was still then IPW before um Rev Pro broke broke off. Zach is still having good matches. Not saying he's like a even like a top fifty wrestler in the road in like twenty in twenty in twenty ten. But he's still someone that's very much good at that point in time and from twenty eleven on he just keeps skyrocketing up. So I'm not sure that Zach isn't like a legit number one contender for me, but it feels like it's gonna be a battle between uh about five or six people for me. Yeah, and Tanahashi is a really good call out for a guy who's had great matches. I think another guy who's really in the conversation just for quality and maybe not necessarily for consistency is obviously Daniel Bryan. Um I think perennially in the conversation. Um just because of how good he is, but he has a lot of layoff years in the 2010s, unfortunately, because of, like we talked about, injury stuff. Um, but I could still see making a case for him just because of how good he is and the triumphant kind of story that you do get um, repeatedly with him. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to dig into here. A guy who I think gets overlooked, probably Chuck Taylor, honestly. Some of that, mm. you know, um, IWA work is like fantastic he's got a lot of great stuff in there so there is kind of like conversations to be had about him which like probably some people think is fucking crazy but like i think that there's a conversation to have there you know there's a there's a few guys who i think maybe go under the radar a little bit um but i think kenny omega sort of goes under the radar what is crazy as that sounds right i think that's true I, and I, yeah and i can make it and i can definitely make a case for that because I think especially now if with AEW and we don't know how much we're going to see Kenny Omega wrestle in, 28, in 2019. Um, his, I guess, year and a half run in, um, I guess I won't even call it a year and a half. I guess I'll give him the two years. I guess I'll give him like the two year run that he's had in New Japan. Um, I started at the Tetsuya Naito match in the G1 in 2016 and um, him skyrocketing from there. But people forget about Kenny Omega being really good for the rest of the decade before that. And it starts in PWG. It starts with um him winning his um the bola for the title and him having a really great run that year. Starts with um he um has the beginnings of his real runs in DDT, has his little ROH run that isn't look isn't looked back on super fondly, but I think both of us actually really liked what he was doing in ROH for the in ROH for the time he was there, and that's where he started. And then we have him start to coming to coming into his own in DDT, uh, in tag team matches and in a singles capacity. We're seeing him get to go to places like All Japan, and he's having really good matches with guys like Kai and um Hiroshi Hiroshi Yamato, and eventually we're getting the tag team stuff. In New Japan, we're getting his best of Super Junior stuff in New Japan, even before the Bullet Club stuff. And I think you're with me on this. The Kenny Omega Junior stuff in the Bullet Club, I think, gets remembered a little bit more negatively than it should be. I think a lot of people still think of him coming out with the broom and sweeping and the antics, and probably still think of that those first couple of Taguchi matches weren't that I'll admit weren't particularly great. I but we get them. him versus Kushida. But we get, but we get, but we get him versus Kushida. We get him versus Alex Shelley. We get him versus Mascara Dorada. We get him versus um. I think we got a Matt Seidel match in there too. Yes. And 
that like he had really good matches i think for the most part they weren't knocking out of the park amazing but i think when people talk about kenny omega's junior run we sort of just gloss over it or even say it was a even say it was a dark spot but i kind of think that his junior run is real good and well if people actually revisit it they would think a little bit more highly of it yeah i mean at the time i had him at having a run of like almost a year of having the best match on all the big shows um when when he was the junior champion or when he was in the junior division um so yeah i'm i'm with you even at the time i was saying it i think a lot of people were overlooking um kind of the quality of the matches because like you said that and i i did i thought that the taguchi matches were fine i know that a lot of people were like thought they were so terrible but i didn't really see them being that bad but yeah i mean that 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 time period gets overlooked a lot of his stuff gets overlooked but he's definitely a guy who's in that conversation too especially if you want to talk about influencing the decade i mean he's a huge part of what became kind of modern wrestling for the 2010s um i I guess the case against him though is that I think more than anybody, he has the biggest case of being like a flash in the pan, quote unquote, because his run really only is for about for a for a year and a half. So I'm not I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what you kind of call Kenny Omega's impact. And like everyone has peaks, right? So I'm not even so I think that's maybe even a weird argument to put a place on Kenny Omega because everyone has their peak. CM Punk isn't the same after 2011. Um, Daniel Bryan isn't quite the same after uh, June um, 2013 through April 2014. And it really really captures that um, same uh, level again. But I do think because people caught on to Kenny so late that that's going to be something that people hold against him. Yeah, that's, I mean... That's definitely true, and I think <laughs> people have been holding shit against Kenny Omega for his whole fucking career, though, so I think <laughs> that's nothing new. Um, but I think that, you know, you, me, to a lesser extent, making a, a case for him, I think hopefully can kind of open some eyes to to the, the quality that he had in the in the decade. Um, I, have, I have another one that brock's mentioned in the chat mm-hmm. and it's not someone that i particularly would have thought about if brock didn't say something about him but i feel like he is definitely worth discussing uh how are we on prince Devitt? i he crossed my mind it, it's so funny i didn't i didn't see brock mention it in the slack but recently when we were when you told me we were going to talk about the 2010s prince Devitt did cross my mind um he's a weird one because I was never a huge fan at any point, but I can't argue with the overness and the the fact that he was there in a lot of big situations, repeatedly having quality matches. I mean, realistically, um, really influential and important again on on kind of the style and exposing fans. I mean, in a lot of ways, you could really point to new japan's popularity in america for the past couple years to devit you know i think that there's something to Meltzer going gaga over um okada versus tanahashi giving it five stars but i think that there was another there was another big part of that that people were interested in who's this prince devit guy that's getting over there this bullet club thing that seems cool he was the head of that it was a big deal the light up jacket the whole thing so 
I think that that gets forgotten about and overlooked um, just how important he was at that time. Um, kind of just owning the junior division. It was, it was interesting to think back or to think about how the junior division has been booked since him because he was the last real dominant figure that felt important on top of being dominant. Everyone else since then who has been even somewhat dominant, like say Kenny Omega felt like, well, he's just leaving the junior division soon and didn't really feel like important in the junior division. Devitt, kind of still did feel like he was making the junior division matter even as his match quality started to even get worse when it turned into a lot of interference and a lot of chicanery outside of the ring yeah but the but yeah but the heat and interest definitely went up yeah so he is a conversation to be had um he's another guy who shows up in places he pops into progress and weirdly is probably another guy who's a big part of making progress what it is um, because he was on that show that ends up uh, on YouTube because of Progress having the technical difficulties backstage with the production quality. Um, and I think, did he have the match with, was it with Zach on that show that ended up on YouTube? Um, yeah, it was the Zach match. Yeah, so Devitt versus Zach Sabre Jr. ends up on YouTube, and I think that people were interested in Devitt, again, because they had you know heard about him in New Japan or maybe seen him in New Japan. Now they're getting to see this progress company have their show um, on YouTube for free. If you weren't already paying attention to it at that point, it was it was before Progress on Demand existed. So you were either you had to pay for every download of every show. So there weren't as many people watching it at that time. Um, and he has this big match with Zack Sabre Jr. that I think really probably influenced helping make Zack become a big time name too, um, off of his star power. It's funny too because you know who else was in part of a big kind of a big angle on that show was will osprey uh, paul robinson turns on him in a clusterfuck tag team match and uh then that moves forward osprey becomes a big star so it's funny the way that that progress show that ends up on youtube because of you know an issue with the sound quality um becomes like a i think it kickstarted a lot of guys careers um or you could say it pointed to or, or started to be in part of kickstarting guys careers and and devitt was probably the biggest star on that show um for people outside of progress so i mean yeah he shows up there then he goes into nxt you can argue about the quality of his matches or the quality of the company at the time but i think that devitt was a part of turning nxt into a third brand rather than a developmental territory i think a lot of people all right so like let me i think devitt definitely gets a lot of shit for his NXT run. And I'll be honest, I'm not particularly sure why. Because when I go back and look at his Matt when I go back and look at his NXT run, we have um We have the Nakamura match when Nakamura first comes in that I that I really like. We have the first uh, the first two Joe matches that I think are really good. I think the Lon- I think the London match and I think the one in Dallas are both very good matches. I think again, if people like matches that if people went back and watched them, they'd be like, oh holy shit, this is way better than I remember. I do like the um Yeah, there's a Kevin Owens match from I wanna say like March twenty fifteen. And it's before WrestleMania. It's before they have the Beast in the East special where Balor wins the title from Owens. And I absolutely love that match. It's, on, it's an NXT TV match. Go back, go back and find it if you can. But um, one of those hidden gems from uh, Devitt's NXT era 
Well, look, this guy has never been the most spectacular wrestler on the planet. And I think you're fooling yourself if you ever think that. Um, but when I look at his NXT run, I think that he has a, he had a lot better stuff, a lot of hidden gems that people just don't remember right now. And I do think part of that is because people got so down on that Samoa Joe feud and how that stuff ended, ending on um that cage match that was very very bad. Um, and there's no defense on that, but. I really do think that his NXT work got kind of got unfairly shit on because of recency bias. Yeah, I mean there were some issues, there were some shaky stuff. The the stuff with Hideo Itami was a little shaky. Um, I think part. I like the first. I like I like the first Itami match. They had a, they had a match um in that tournament that decided that um who was going to get a title shot at Owens before WrestleMania. Yeah. And I thought they had a really good match on one of the NXT TV episodes. No, actually, that match and their matches with each other were good. I kind of meant the um, the tag team feud with the Ascension. That's oh, oh yeah, oh of course, but the Ascension is fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that was like a bad kind of early on stuff. And I think another issue with him and this, I mean, it was a match that I enjoyed, but the the match with uh, Tyler Breeze. Um, and I think that it points to something that I'll I'll say is kind of the issue with him. I think is um that I think that the problem was people who only popped in for takeovers weren't seeing the quality Finn Balor stuff because his takeover matches were, you said his best stuff was kind of the hidden gems from the TVs. And I think that that was an era of NXT where a lot of people were saying like, I don't watch the TV. It's boring. It's the same. It's repetitive. I just watch the takeovers. I heard a lot of people would say that during that time period. And I think that he was not the most dynamic. You talked about his match quality. I mean, or his quality as a wrestler, not being so great. And I think that's it is that he, I wouldn't say he shit the bed on takeovers, but he wasn't having his best work on takeovers. Honestly, um, most of his best work was on TV and people weren't really watching it. So I think that he seemed like a major letdown because of that. Um, you know what it is too, is like, he also, or also coincided with things like here, like now the women are going to go out there on every takeover and have great matches. And then eventually, right. um, up until when does Bella leave? Like May or June or whatever. Of 2016, then that's when the revival is starting to get hot too. When you're dealing with the the revival and American Alpha stuff, so constantly during Finn Balor's NXT run, he was getting overshadowed by um the uh, more more um epic matches that are on the cards. And I do think it's something like you said where people weren't partic- weren't really watching Balor's TV stuff because he did have, have a lot of TV stuff, but when it came to the takeovers, he was never the big lasting image after the show. Right, and it's funny because, I mean, I think that it was, part of it was gift and a curse with his whole, like, demon kind of characters. I think that they thought of the demon character theatrics of the entrances were his shine and then his matches were the afterthought so that it wouldn't take away from other bigger matches, like you said, being delivered as the epic kind of matches on the cards. So his in-ring work on TakeOvers got overshadowed by his entrances and then where he was doing his solid work and, and kind of grinding it out was on the TVs and that was kind of getting overlooked and and he developed into a solid promo on nxt too which i think people overlook like he became pretty decent at talking based on how he was in the beginning he was really shaky and pretty shitty early on um i i can't say that i've seen any promo work on wwe in recent you know vintage so i don't know how good he is right now 
but uh, I do know that towards the end of NXT, he was pretty pretty solid at delivering a promo for his character. Um, but I mean, this is I, again, this is the fun of the the we don't know wrestling one hundred or yeah, the, we don't know wrestling twenty tens is like we're kind of making the case for Finn Balor, a guy who I don't think either one of us would ever have in our top fifty for any year. Right. But if you look at the holistic of the decade, that's the thing about it is it's like look at the you're, you're taking a longer view on a guy and getting a, a more big picture kind of glance on them but um i would be remiss if uh if we let this episode become even more big picture than an episode where we're actually talking about a show so um if is there anything else that you really want to get into before we go or 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 you think it's fine to close it out on that idea that that we don't know wrestling 2010s is about taking a big picture look at guys that maybe maybe float by or you don't put a lot of thought into year by year but when you put together the work of a whole decade, that's when they, they shine. Oh yeah, totally. I think that's um, sort of the difference that uh, me and you might have compared to some people who uh, will take part in the project is that some people might look at it as just uh, recognizing the greatness of the decade. And some people put more stock into their top tens than they do um, the other 90 that are going to be on their list. And I think for us, and I think this was true, true of us when we were doing the GWE process, is always the guys after that. It's always looking at someone's career after those top 10 to 15 guys. Because looking at someone's career in totality, you have, have those guys that may never have been like a top 10, top 5, maybe even top 20 wrestler of the year for you. But then you go and look at it, it's like, hmm, you could argue that this person's been at least a top 70 wrestler in the world since 2010, though. I think that, I think that's a guy like Hiroki Goto, a guy that we didn't talk about, but shit, there the, you can argue Hiroki Goto has been a top 100 wrestler in the world since 2010, maybe higher. There's a guy like T, yeah. there's a guy like T Hawk that's been that's been around for the whole, that's been around for nearly the whole decade. Are there that many wrestlers better than T Hawk that T Hawk can't find his way into a top 70, top 80? It's like, it's like, um, I think we get so. I guess elite top tier um, cream of the crop focused that we forget. We really don't realize like how hard it is once you get to that 30 to 40 range. And I think when we do these um little, we don't know wrestling 2010s uh, bits on the shows, that's going to be a key for us is that we're not just going to go for the clear, obvious guys I think we're going to go for guys when we think when we sit here and think about it. It's like, hmm, I really do wonder where Speedball Mike Bailey is going to rank by the time by the time we do yeah. this thing, like stuff like that. Right. And I mean, that's yeah. I mean, you mentioned a lot of guys there that it's like we got to got to think about them. Like, where are they? It's a big thing. It's 10 years. You know, that's a lot to put down for someone's career and to decide where they're at. And me and you have i think have the history like when we're talking about the guys down on the list that's where we really get excited and like talking about them because there's these little details and nuances and how do you quantify certain things like a guy who's just like you know always fucking fiery in the you know the the match that comes back from intermission or you know stupid little stuff like that that like gets overlooked in the big picture but like is really important um when it comes to like you know a whole big career so so yeah, I, I guess Quentin, we can wrap it up here. You think uh, you think that's good for tonight? Yeah, we're good. I think um, we should say that the next couple of weeks until G one is going to be similar formatted episodes. Uh, some news bits. If we watch anything interesting, we'll bring it up, and then some we don't know wrestling twenty ten talk, and then 
month G once G one starts, I mean, God bless us, but <laughs> we'll get yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and you know, if people have anything that they want us to hit on or questions or anything weird, I guess they can try to send it to us. Um, maybe I'll set up an email. I don't have one. I was thinking about doing it, but we haven't done that. Got, but, gotta uh, make a you can definitely gotta make a Quentin and Tim R Twitter account. Yes, exactly. Um, but you can, uh, you can. Um, you can definitely just hit us up on Twitter directly, or at least me, maybe not Quentin, but you can hit me up on Twitter directly for now until I set something up um, for that uh, at Lucha Undead. Um, so let me know. Quentin, do you want to plug anything on the way out? No, just follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody if you don't already. Uh, can't wait to do this. We don't know wrestling 2010 stuff. It's really weird to look at the fact that, wow, we're six months away from the decade being over but you know I, i'm i'm really excited to fill this list out when it, when it, when the time comes right and uh and you know i'm i i don't have good closers for the shows we talked about it so i think because of the way that i am and not being the kind of guy who can just have a closing tagline this is what i'm going to do to close the show at least this week maybe i'll stick with it but i'm going to paint a little picture for everyone at home okay so kenny omega returns back triumphantly to new japan finally after being gone he shows up he's going to challenge Kazuchiko Okada for the championship, for the IWGP championship, one last time to prove that he still got it to beat the Rainmaker. Um, finally, Kenny hits him with the one-wing angel. And one, two, Okada kicks out. Everyone's shocked. For the first time ever, Okada has kicked out of the one-wing angel. Um, the crowd is losing their minds. But what's that? What does Kenny have? He pulls out to finally put him away. The big weapon. Beyond the one-wing angel, Kenny has the chainsaw. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>